Hello, my name's Adrian Goldberg and welcome to a special edition of the Byline Times podcast, a discussion about the state of modern journalism in the wake of the Bad Press Awards handed out at the Byline Festival held just below the Westway off Portobello Road in London over the May Bank holiday weekend. The awards mark some of the worst excesses of our print and broadcast media, exposing those who keep alight the fires of the culture wars, or who otherwise do the bidding of their corporate masters. Nominees included the likes of Piers Morgan, Sarah Vine, Andrew Neil, Richard Littlejohn and Toby Young. After the awards, I brought together some of those involved in the event, BAFTA award-winning actress Joanna Scanlon, Peter York, writer of the official Sloan Ranger handbook and creator of the Modern Review. Alistair Morgan, long-time campaigner on behalf of his murdered brother, Daniel Morgan. Compare, Jonathan Pye, a.k.a. the comedian Tom Walker. And first, Peter Dukes, executive editor of Byline Times. I asked Peter how the awards came about. Well, I think we needed a fair, you know, press awards are notoriously corrupt. Um, done for mates you can't really trust them so we thought we needed something more unfair more untrustworthy and we decided to get our own revenge on the awards that we're never nominated for so that happened in 2017 obviously every year it's a kind of rich environment for terrible journalism sponsored content misleading headlines and inaccurate articles and this year what we had is a raft of new nominees for self-pity for, you know, a sense of, I don't know, we're joined by one of the great readers here, Peter, Peter York. But I think it was, a, it was a, a bumper year, Peter, for certain kinds of bad journalism, particularly around COVID. There was a lot of fake news, sort of fake statistics. We had Toby Young, Alison Pearson, brilliant work in the interest of scientific illiteracy. Uh, and then self-pity. We have Piers Morgan crying about being crushed. We had Andrew Neil in tears read brilliantly by Otto English and of course Sarah Vine read by Joe Scanlon her brilliantly. message brilliantly he, he omitted the brilliant there but anyway no, it, it was, was brilliantly read and it was you, her message you. to who it was a message to her husband I imagine in their separation process and how they're masters of the universe but they don't have somebody who really knows what they're really like Michael yes uh, well we owe it all to our leaders brilliant choices of <laughs> articles which when you read them over and then you read them over again and then you think how would I chop this up and give a bit of emphasis you realise that their writers are barking mad it's all so much opinion standing as news or standing in and taking up space it's just there is so little news in it and um, that kind of satire you don't realise how bad the newspapers are until you here at the Brad Press Awards. When you started reading them out, I mean, the, 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 those readings were satire, but weren't intentional satire. No, you don't need to do much to make them sound you as if they're a piece of fiction. Those people actually wrote those things in real newspapers, intending them to be taken literally. That's the amazing stuff. You just have to emphasize a comma take a few dots along or in the case of our brilliant colleague Otto English do Scottish accents he did and the whole thing becomes evidently as mad as it really is it's lovely to take the piss out of them Peter but underlying this is quite a serious moment 
to reflect on how poor so much of the press is. Yeah, what we do without them, I mean, they're a source of great comedy. The problem is they do run the world. Uh, you know, we have, Michael Gove was mentioned in the Sarah Vine piece, but at other years, Boris Johnson has been a leading contender. We had a great category for government stenographer with an entrance by uh, James Forsyth, who writes The uh, Spectator, by Harry Cole, friends with the Johnsons, and Alex Wickham, who's allegedly the godfather of their child. And I think just the political media class has got more and more incestuous, hasn't it, Alison? Is it his kid? This is what I always ask myself. Is it Johnson's kid? This is what I really often ask myself. <laughs> Alex Wickham is not Johnson's kid, by the way. And I must just say one, I don't think, I don't think the age works. Um, I, I oversaw the last few press awards, but this year I was amply helped by a brilliant selector, a guy who goes with a hazmat suit down to the darkest tunnels and disgusting depths of the tabloid press and their ego and pity, and that's Mick Wright, who does the work nobody else dare do and comes out alive, having disfiled some of the slimiest, most oleaginous pieces of prose looking, you can find. We're looking at this as if, um, you know, we're, we're, we're fingering these journalists uh, and asking them to take the rap. But actually, this is a systemic problem. It is not the individual journalists who are responsible for this situation. It is the breakdown of a whole system of news gathering and news dissemination that is the, that's the rot. And Peter and I were talking the other day about local news, local newspapers, and the fact... We did have a local newspaper tonight. It was cited, the Portsmouth something. Yes, Portsmouth Evening News for a bit of sponsored content about, you wrote that, about a psychic. I didn't write it, but no, I read it. No, you read it, so the psychic, <laughs> who is sponsored by Small Business, uh, British Association of Small Business. Clairvoyant. Well, can yeah. you remember the headline? No, I can't. Clairvoyant, <laughs> who decides to become a guru when her mother, dead mother, visits her in a dream. Her dead mother called Crystal Clear. Crystal Clear. <laughs> Crystal. But the point is that but if you don't have local news and if you don't have court reporting and if you don't have the, the everything coming from the bottom up instead of columnists down, then you don't have a proper democratic check and balance. You just don't. Um, no, that's, that's brilliant, but it's not very funny. So the way to show I, it... I, see, we can afford now not to be funny because we've been funny. We've been so funny. We've had the audience <laughs> rolling amongst the... Uh, whatever. Yeah, uh, uh, what, Astro's No, what's, what's Adele's Astro. song? Rolling in, with oh, the... Rolling in what, the deep. Deep. Rolling. We've had them rolling in the deep. But uh, honestly, that... that there are serious points to be made by the fact that you're examining the process of journalism in the newspapers through these ridiculous columns. And a the greatest problem in the modern world is crazed right-wing propaganda. At the moment that it switches to be crazed left-wing propaganda, I will be up in arms against that. But for the moment, it isn't. The dominant thing is right-wing balmy propaganda as espoused by Vladimir Putin or Rupert Murdoch or any of the people we were reading out. There was a great moment where Jonathan Bai, who was the host on the award, said he, he was preparing to read a quote and he said, you have to guess whether this quote came from the Times, the Daily Mail or the Telegraph. Are you ready out? We're all scratching our head. Which one is it? The answer, of course, was 
Vladimir Putin at the yes. Baldai conference. That's right. And um, Joe missed a cue there. I think we didn't rehearse that. I completely forgotten. I, I put my script down at that point because we'd never rehearsed properly. Um, yes. So that's something we can rectify for next we year. We can rectify it depending on your availability. You've got to tell your agent you're not subject to any bookings throughout the spring. <laughs> but it was fascinating. And we have done a lot of work, serious work on this in Byline Times. That the war on woke, he actually talks about J.K. Rowling after the Ukraine invasion. And he goes, he talks about J.K. Rowling, like her being cancelled. This rhetoric doesn't just stop at the walls of Fleet Street. We know, thanks to Piers Morgan, a much cited nominee this year, I think he won his category, that he's spreading his message on the war against woke all around the world. I mean, he's on Australia, he's on Fox Nation, isn't he? This is a global phenomenon and it goes as far as Russia. And Alistair, you've faced the corruption of the press yeah, directly yeah, yeah. in trying to get to the bottom of the murder yeah. of your brother Daniel. Obviously, we can have great fun about it at the Bad yeah, Press yeah. Awards and you joined in the laughter, yeah, I know, yeah. but as Joanna says, there is a deep systemic problem which despite Leveson, despite the phone hacking yeah, trials, hasn't gone away. No, it's, it's still the same. I mean, I think the Daily Mail this week has been just off the spectrum, you know, uh, with, well, there's, there's uh, yeah. a Keir Starmer party break, oh, lockdown yeah, breaking, yeah, yeah, and then yeah, the Angela yeah. Rayner stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah They're nominees for next year, didn't actually. Yeah. And, and something this morning that really wound me up is the, I've forgotten his name, Neil Porn, just resigned yeah. MP. Um, Neil Parrish. Thank you, Parrish, yeah. Neil Parrish. Right, so he he um, was was obviously in the papers yesterday as being oh he's done a bad thing. This morning, most of the papers that I looked at were saying he's actually a really nice guy and and kind of you know get off his back and doesn't everybody watch porn underneath it? As I am absolutely incandescent about that. I think that anybody who should who is excusing that behaviour, I know he's resigned, but it, it's a very Small thing. It's, it's a yeah. It, it's a normalising yeah. process, and this is the Times. This is the Telegraph. This was the Mail. Each one of them saying, to, you know, he's a nice guy. Actually, it doesn't matter. I'm sure he is a nice guy. What he jerk. did is unacceptable, and those papers should have been backing that up. He was watching it during allegedly. He's a select committee chair for the death committee, watching it while select the committee. Meanwhile, horrifically, there are 56 MPs under criminal investigation for sexual offences. So you normalise that, what else do you normalise it? It is fascinating that all this should come from newspapers and MPs who would normally be up in arms about pornography as a sign of licence and left-wingery. <laughs> it's interesting, on the way down here, I think most people who've looked at Keir Starmer Partygate would yeah. recognise that Durham Police have investigated, have decided there is no case to answer. Nevertheless, it is still front page news on papers like the Daily Mail. And the guy on my local station, as I was coming down here from Birmingham, quoted Keir Starmer to me versus Boris Johnson as an example of they're all the same. And it just demonstrates how oh. the papers can throw mud can in the eye of the general public and confuse issues deliberately. Can you imagine any two people not the same as Keir Starmer and Boris Johnson? Keir Starmer actually does come from an of the people. He actually is genuinely working class. And he was named Keir 
after Keir Hardie because of his progressive working class parents. And he did public service, which his knighthood reflects. Boris Johnson, meanwhile, dot, dot, dot. But I think that's part of this because Boris Johnson, don't forget, is a journalist and he is a journalist through and through. He's used these tropes of rhetoric constantly as a form of leadership, so-called leadership and government. And that, if we don't have to take this opportunity to scrutinise journalistic malpractice, then we're not allowing people to see the tools that are utilised currently by our Prime Minister. I think Alison come here because he's seen, you know, the way that a, a really serious story is disparaged, minimised. His own brother was in the first crime watch about Daniel's murder, yeah. was portrayed as some sort of lurid peeping Tom. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't really like to no, remember but, that, but, you know, but I mean, that is, that is the BBC. That's the BBC. An example of it. Uh, and what they do, you see, is like Vladimir Putin, he pumps both sides extreme. So extreme Black Lives Matters groups, gun groups. So we, in the end, we tune out. We go, ah, oh, it's Joe said, or you said, ah, oh, don't trust any of them. That guy you met on the tube, but don't trust any of them. Who does that suit, that cynicism? The people behind the scenes, the people who don't believe in democracy, don't believe you should vote for anybody, newspaper proprietors and oligarchs, because if we all back off, they win. I was interested when you talked about it being a structural issue, Joanna. What did you mean by that? I mean, it is partly about... It's two things, I think. One is money, how much how much money there is available for newspapers to write content, the the kinds of wages and salaries that very young journalists can not find because there's almost nothing to live off. Um, freelancing, too much freelancing, losing the huge, vast swathes of reporters which are required if you want to get into these stories. So that's one aspect. And the other aspect is technology and the breakdown of the platforms and the means by which the newspapers are telling the story and their competition within social media. And those two things, you know, unholy alliance have come together to create a situation in which we're not, I don't believe we are safe as, as democratic nations. It's interesting, a few years ago, people were talking about the demise of dead tree media, the old print media, the traditional newspapers. If anything, I would suggest, for the reasons that you've highlighted, they've strengthened their hands in recent years. They are the organs with the most money and the most power, and they can effectively tell young journalists, this is what you write, and if you don't write like this, you won't have a job. No, and, and podcasts have become places where you can find a bit more... Um, punch uh you can find a bit more passion uh and perhaps i don't i don't really like to use the word truth but you know something closer to a truth of uh what is actually going on and not just opinion that is as you say often just down the barrel um from the proprietor dead tree media are important because their people and their ideas get replicated, they get pushed into Parliament, and they get pushed out on social media, and they get pushed out on mainstream broadcast media. So you get BBC and ITV News and full of dead tree media commentators. So if you're lucky enough as a non-dom to own a dead tree medium, you can be sure 
that your people will be out there on Newsnight and Good Morning Britain saying your story. Well, it's one of the ironies, isn't it, that we talk about dead tree media. That's the only thing that's dead about it, because if you look at what the papers say, as opposed to the Byline Times, what the papers don't say, what the papers say still dictates the news agenda, still dictates the the agenda of what's discussed on national radio, on local radio. Even yes. more so, I think now. Oh, we're joined by Tom Walker. The, AKA Jonathan Pye. AKA Jonathan Pye. We're just talking about Adrian's doing our podcast for us about the dead tree media. I was literally coming over to just say, hi guys, now I'm in the middle of an interview. But yes, sorry, carry okay, on. Okay, well, are you excellent for this? No, um, that, that it, there was a panel today from Brian Cathcart, I think Hardeep, our editor, chaired it with Peter Oborn. And they have converged the political and media class. Boris Johnson and Michael Gove, both journalists. The, the dead tree media needed a convenient government power not to follow through anything Leveson. Look at Leveson 2, which would have unveiled the Daniel Morgan murder and the role of the press in working with the murder suspects. So uniquely in this country, we have a punditocracy. And they know, and what Brian Castle said, every little policy, policy review, policy whatever is done thing about prevent, they've got them in the paper. There's Douglas Myers' book, the time to come out with it. It's a convergence of a class, and it is about class, because you can know, and Joe pointed this about how poorly journalists are paid. The only way you get to go into journalism now, if you've got a rich parent who owns property in London, only way to be an actor as well, don't but, forget. I was about to say, I mean, in, in every industry it's that. I mean, I, I, you, you can afford to fail, can't you, if you're privately educated and you've got uh, a lot of money, and journalism is, is that. I see it with actors, um, and no offence to these wonderful actors that were all eaten, trained, uh, because you can afford to be out of work for 10 years. Um, it's a bit more difficult when you're, um, you know, not yeah. that. Bring back Margaret Thatcher's Enterprise Allowance Scheme. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were students together. Through. Don't remember, we, Joe, Joe and I were students together. We me did too. drama together. Housing allowance. I got a full maintenance grant because my, we owned so little as one parent family at the, yeah, at that point. And we got housing benefits. Do you remember the summer? That used to keep us going in Edinburgh. It seems indulgent to go into this, but at that time, you could, you know, in, in even when we were students, we had the, the dole in the summer holidays which is incredible. I was on a full grant too because my parents had no money. And um, and then we went joined into the Enterprise Allowance Scheme to give us a training for I mean, 10 years. I mean, it was extraordinary. It was the last year where fees were paid and you had a maintenance grant and and it was a given. I mean, I couldn't afford to go to a posh drama school because, well, well, I couldn't be asked to try and get a, a you know, a, a scholarship. But I, I wouldn't have been able to go, I wouldn't be able to afford to go to university if I was now, and it's not like I'm from a desperately poor background, but but I certainly not from a wealthy background. It would have been far too much of a risk for me to go to drama school. Can I, can on, there are on, so many protocols within journalism that you have to be trained for. You can't. Right, yes. You don't just get born a journalist. There's a lot of a lot of rules, regulations, ethics, processes, methods that you need to find. I mean, or true. There should be. Well, there isn't any more yes. because, but if you joined a paper as, you know, most of the the big dead tree guys did when they were 16 and learnt that way, then they had a proper training. I believe in training. I believe in education and I believe being, you should be paid during that process. I, I can't believe that we have become a country of internships. 
So, and that's for the rich. So the guy, you can hear some music in the background, the Samba band, all the music on the bad line, by, by bad line, by line, by line festival has really been organized by Chris Sullivan, right? He founded the WAG Cup. He arrived in central London from Merthyr Tivolt. Merthyr Tivolt. He lived in central London, started the WAG Club, left school at 16. How could he do that now? Who could live in central London? Who could found a club? And so our culture is diminished. I think I'm being pretentious now, but Walter Benjamin, the great German philosopher, writer killed by the, well, effectively killed by the Nazis, said all the great arts appear at the margins. You know, Shakespeare was where there was, you know, there was bear baiting and, yeah. and, you know, and, and cinema and peep shows. All the great, look at the Beatles. You know, all the great stuff we create has been really, occasionally from a great central artist like Mozart or something. That's not us, obviously. But, you know, it comes from people coming up to society and we're stifling that. Joanna, you have a particular problem amongst all of us here in that some of the work that you do relies on, or at least hopes for, commendation by some of the people that you're criticising. Are you worried about that? Well, I haven't slagged off any critics as <laughs> such, but um, not really. Uh, I think you take you take it, you know, as it as it comes, and um, I think that it, it, criticism is slightly aside from news journalism. It's always been a slightly different arena. I mean, I don't know any critics, bar one. I do know one critic, and I think you are you're not hand in glove as an actor with that critic and if they all decide to sort of say because I think that there's something systemically rotten in the processes of you know journalistic practice currently if they all decide they're going to give me no stars fine by me I suppose the fear is though that it will be the non-critics the news journalists who might somehow hone in on Joanna Scanlon and decide that you are don't encourage an enemy of the state please <laughs> don't make the suggestion but aren't they two separate I mean, you're looking at art, for yeah. want of a better word, and journalism, which can have its sort of, you know... Uh, so one imagines, although uh, from a... If you read a, a bad critique of your work, it hurts, but it's not your peers. Do, do you know, there is that separation. It's just a hack journalist having a go at you. If it was one of your actual peers having a go at you, that would sort of hurt yeah. much more, presumably. No, and, and, you know. and the democracy is... a is a more important subject for me than um, arts journalism or even even the arts. I know the, the arts and, and soft power culture is very, 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 very important and informs a huge amount of the debates and influence and influences in itself. But it's not the same as actually having a threat to democratic process. Which is where you think we're at in this country now. I think we're seriously under... Th democratic process is under threat without a very strong journalistic set of ethics and uh, processes. I spent years and years and years, decades, being a modish airhead. It was lovely. A modish, oh. a modish airhead. It oh. was absolutely lovely, and I longed to go back to it. However, the fierce urgency of now, the fact that, for instance, our public service broadcasting structure is totally under threat from a rather Hungarian government, an Orban-like <laughs> government, who wants to get rid of the BBC as it currently is, 
and who wants to privatise Channel 4 diverts you somewhat. I pray for the day when I can get back to being a modish airhead. <laughs> so that would be our test. You're like the canary in the yeah, mine. Right? When, you, when you become a modish airhead again, we're safe. Uh, yeah. Of, of the readings tonight, of the articles that you read, because for people who weren't here, you were reading articles that had been nominated for the Bad Press Awards. Which was your favourite stroke least favourite, Joanna? Oh, I can't. There isn't a least favourite. No, there's a point by which it doesn't fall. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think um, of the ones I read, I really enjoyed Alison Pearson. Um, she is, I mean, you know, she's actually a good writer. I mean, she uses words well. Um, and for people who weren't here, just tell us about Alison's piece. Oh, Alison was talking, um, as you may or may not know, but Alison has been a strong. Uh, strongly objected to the government's response to the scientists in the ways that they have dictated we, you know, how we get through COVID masks and lockdowns and everything else. So she's objected to that from, from the beginning, from the point of view, I think, principally of what she would call freedom and freedom of choice. Um, but she ends her piece, which is a, her Christmas message, with a, she, she calls it a Christmas message question mark, and she ends it by saying that we are now approaching the existential crisis, humans versus scientists, which is a great line. Uh, and she does use words really well, and actually is a really nice way to, to uh, you know, it's a nice piece to f- perform. But I, I think that's not always the point, and some of the not so good wordsmiths were probably making more, you know, as selected, were making better points than There is something quite chilling, isn't there, about a prominent newspaper journalist talking about scientists in such a derogatory way. Scientists, people who are trained and know what they're talking about. It's actually nonsensical, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't bear scrutiny. Come on. That's the problem with great style, Joe. I mean, we were at university together, students, and it was always elevated. We both, you did history, I did literature. Great style. And by the end, I came so suspicious of that. Somebody made a point once, I think it was that, you know, our government, apart from being led by punditrats, a lot from the spectator, who elevates style. If you write something beautifully, it doesn't matter if you're a bloody fascist. And, and actually, what I hate about that style, if you listen to what they said, there was nothing there. It was just style. Yeah, but is yeah, it, isn't yeah. that Absolutely. most papers these days? Back in the day, you used to have a newspaper and an opinion column down the side. It's just the whole thing's an opinion column now. It's cheaper. <laughs> and it's cheaper, it's easier, it's sort of more exciting because someone... I mean, some of those things that I heard tonight, you kind of go, they, they must, as they're writing it, think... Oh fuck it! I'll see how far I can. Do you, oh fuck it! You, do you, are you just like my favourite bit is Andrew Neil. The, the bit about Andrew Neil when he's talking about woe is me and and clearly he's made a terrible career move and he knew that after ten seconds of GB News. And this was his, this was his sort of GB News. This was him going and I was in tears and my career was over and my wife discussed it and blah blah blah. And we decided to get on a private jet, drink some champagne, and go to Jersey to sort it all out. And you go you. Do you know what, mate? You're all right, aren't you? You know, you're going to be fine. I yeah. wish he'd written it himself, that, because it was, yes, yeah, it yeah, was yeah, an yeah. interview and he was saying, he was confiding in the interviewer. And I just wish he'd written his own piece yeah. saying the same things, because I would have loved to have heard it from him, from the man himself. Well, it's, it's when she says, um, and he, with a tear in his eyes, as I was hugging him. Um, it's just, yeah, that, that was my favourite, I think. 
there's a great thing in the American right wing to say that fact-checking, like science, is an extravagant metropolitan liberal elite idea, and it's spreading here. Fact-checking, so these people say, is a very, very bad idea. We should not have facts. <laughs> so basically what fact-checking is, double-checking someone isn't lying, isn't it? Which and you're saying that's a terrible yes th that's they say that's, that's a terrible idea. But there is yeah. no such thing as a fact. There's no such thing as a truth behind a fact. There is no you know this is where the whole very centre of conversation, let alone stop newspapers. Ca stop cancelling me with facts. And that's what basically <laughs> people don't contradict me because if you're if you're challenged by facts. Now this microphone we're talking to me, talking to doesn't work without facts, without science and technology. The GPS satellites need Eisensteinian physics, heart surgery. They, I mean, I, mean yeah. I, I said it in, in, in the opening, the hilarious opening monologue that I did. But, <laughs> but, but, but the idea that, um, did you write that? that, that we give, that we give uh, the news gives fact and opinion the, the same weight so that we can't, kind of can't see one from the other. So, yeah. so the news these days goes, here's a fact. Now let's see what the person on the street thinks. Um, as if that is as valid, well, I don't want to wear a face mask. As if that's as valid as a scientist going, it will help. You can still go, I don't want to wear a face mask, that's fine, and it's a valid or invalid opinion. But the idea that the news gives them the same weight, that's, again, it's editorialised. It's, 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 the, it's the opinion column. You know, that's what news is now. And we like to think, don't we, in our very exceptional British way, that we are somehow superior to the Americans and to Fox News. Well, we are. But this I'm is. Sure. But this is. Uh, but this is a version of Fox News, isn't it? The, 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 what Fox News represents, a dilution of that, is endemic in our media now, in our print media and perhaps in our broadcast media as well. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. I mean, the difference between, or it used to be the case, the difference between American and, and British me, uh, news media would be that our, our TV is very uh, central, you know, uh, um, uh, you, you, let's hear both sides kind of thing. And, it, and it's our print media that is rabidly right or left. And it used to be the opposite in, in America, actually, their print media was fairly more even-handed and it was always Fox News or, you know, going one way or the other. But I think that's sort of levelled off now and we're... It's all just a quagmire of, of, of shite, really, uh, across the board. I remember when Peter and I were students... Um, and the post-structuralism debate was raging at King's College. And what's-his-name was was uh, oh, resigned or was oh, sacked? Colin McCabe. Colin McCabe was sacked or resigned or whatever. And I, as Peter said, I, I didn't do English. I was doing history. And um, I said, what is this? What is this post-structuralism? What is it? And you, um, um, you said to me something like, well, it's where... There isn't any real, there isn't anything real, there isn't anything, there is no truth, and all you have are these forms or, you know, signs by which people derive through perceptions their end conclusion. And that academic notion, that philosophical notion, which I, I think is jolly interesting, still do, but is being hijacked by a an agenda. I really believe it's been hijacked by an agenda to say 
multiplicity e- equals zero, equals nothing. So you've lost me slightly because I'm not as well educated as you. But are we talking <laughs> about, did, but, but are we talking about the phenomenon of, of sort of the individual here? Is, is that what you're talking about? In, well, in, the, in the sense that we all have a... Our own yeah, yeah, subjective truth. Yeah, yeah. yes, uh, and, 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 and those subjective truths must be respected at all costs, even if you're clearly blatantly... So was the left-wing uh, thing, just the, the, the background, was the left-wing thing to say, like, science is, it's, you know, the, the canon, the literary canon, uh, was dead white men, right? So yes. enlightenment was dead white men, which it was, but it was still the enlightenment. I still yeah. believe in it, yes. right? I, I said, yeah. well, what about these other truths? It was a left-wing thing, as Peter, look, the man most to blame for this is sat on my, not sat, standing on my right, because Peter York started the modern review. What was the modern review? It was post-structuralism, Peter. It was Judy Birchall and Toby Young. Young. <laughs> you started them off. It's my but, fault. But the idea... The, the idea is that truth is subjective, that you can't, there's no absolute truth. And the right took that over. And actually, a lot of those figures, which seemed left-wing, like Judy Birchall and Toby Young and Tony Parsons, went to the right. And all I'd say is, on that, of course, you don't get absolute truth. The whole idea is structuralism, the sign and the signifier aren't the same thing. Very, very boring. But you never get to the pole star. You can still tell where North is. I use the idea that you never have absolute truth, but you use the idea that you're going to get more truthful to navigate until Peter York came along, this modish person, and destroyed culture. How are you going to explain yourself? I did it (laughs) single-handed. And I did it on purpose. (laughs) Look, I regret it so deeply, particularly the amount of money lost in the process. (laughs) (laughs) But is is, is that intellectual moment that Joanna and Peter described, was, is that a fair description of the modern review, do you think? Look, the modern review was very, very funny at a point in time when you could have that sort of fun. And now, you wouldn't. Can I challenge Jonathan, Tom? Tom is this lovely guy. Jonathan That's why Pete. you always call me Jonathan Tom. Yeah, it's there's, there's this lovely guy called Tom and then this quite scary guy called Jonathan. Um, but I think humor's to blame. Now, Joe and I always have this de- humor. 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 Okay. Humor. 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 I, yes. humor. I blame Private Eye for some of yes. this. I, I remember the argument. Joe was always going to swan off the fucking foot. I swear on the fucking footlight. So I go to do serious plays. Let's do J.M. Singh. Let's do something I'm going to write. Because you, you didn't. I'm sorry. Just to set the record straight here. It, it's not because of anything Peter said that I was interested in straight drama or plays. That was my background. I know, I know, anyway, I know. yes. Anyway, anyway, but you know, we were contemporaries. They were old enough. Stephen Fry and Matonson obviously became a serious actor. Hugh Laurie became a serious actor. Tony Slattery struggled with mental health. And I think that what happened in British culture was that and it's always the problem with English. When I was traveling abroad, oh, you're English, you're naturally funny. Americans would think, Monty Python, you're funny, and you just say something, they'd laugh. Humor became, and the Russians definitely use irony, but people, that enabled Boris Johnson. He's funny, so it doesn't matter if he's a lying son of a bitch. It doesn't matter that he breaks all these personal vows for him. He's fun on Have I Got News You. You know he's nominated for a BAFTA, Joe. I'm just saying that, slightly undermining your BAFTA. <laughs> Who was nominated for a BAFTA? Boris Johnson. What, for for being on Have I Got News For You? For being the presenter, taking over from Angus Deaton when Angus Deaton had been Destroyed by Piers Morgan. There's a brilliant show. You should watch Piers Morgan on the show with Angus Deaton. Angus Deaton, obviously, he's reading a script. Tears him to shreds. And 
and there's a look in Piers Morgan, I'm going to get you. I'm going to kill you, yeah. And he does. Yeah. So I think humour is part of our problem. It's one of the tools of, of, it's one of the rhetorical tools and one of the seductive tools by which you can sugar the pill. Well, if you're funny, uh, you normally, by virtue of that, have some form of charisma. And, and I think that's, I hate to say it, but Boris does have a charisma. It's, it's fascinating. It's great. Um, it's great uh, that's and, a and, and, and I one imagines in his company, you sort of go, oh, what, what, what an amusing sort of chap. Um, but unfortunately, that's... But if he hadn't been so hungry for power and money, he would have made a brilliant backbencher. Because yeah, that's, yeah, that yeah. is the kind yeah. of person you want on the backbenches. Yeah. That is the kind of cut through, who's, yeah. who's slicing through government government's yeah. agendas. Yeah. That is exactly what you want. But he doesn't deploy, sorry, big noise in the background. He doesn't deploy his his skills and his charisma to that to that well, intent. But, but what are his skills? Because, I mean, he does have charisma. He has no skills. I, I can't think of any... He has okay. no well, I think he has some, comi- some comic timing. Oh, I see what you mean. Oh, yeah, yeah. You mean. So you know. the, the, from the charisma end, he's got skills, but politically... Uh, oh yeah, no, I, I don't mean, I don't mean I, I beyond see, that. I, see, I mean, so. his performative, his performance skills and his performative but, but, but also identity. the higher he's gone, the more that doesn't work anymore because you're suddenly like, you're doing a briefing about a global pandemic and you just like, no, 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 I, I actually need words now. I need words and I need... Uh, direction, and I want to know that you're in oh, a little bit of Latin, and and it doesn't cut it anymore. You know, I mean, I found him a figure of fun for years. I couldn't believe it when London elected him mayor twice. I found that extraordinary. But well, I guess he, uh, the mayor is a figurehead that's kind of just like okay. Well, there's a bit of personality going out there. I, I mean, I never really understood it, but he's just supposed to be a serious politician now, and he's still this bumbling. Sort I, of idiot. I, think, I think you're right about. I think Peter's right about comedy. Um, He's uh, also uh, right about Peter's also right about the kind of value of entertainment and lightness and so on. And and Tom, you're right completely about about the fact that we don't have the capacity to be interested in facts, and we want this entertaining entertainment value. And the whole. I mean, I myself completely hands up. I am no longer as able to concentrate and read and absorb information as I was. It might be partly aging, but it's also something else. It's like my brain has been rotted somehow and my concentration skills are no longer there. If you sat me down in front of a a newspaper of 1976 and I had to read it in the way I would have read it in 1976, I'm not sure I'd stay with it. Everything's so sensationalised and sexualised and made into kind of exciting puppy... I sometimes feel that I've read the papers and I haven't. I've gone through Instagram and seen the front pages and I know what the headlines are. And sometimes I kid myself that I've read the papers. I watched an episode a few years back of Bullseye from 1982 on Challenge and the questions were intelligent, intellectual, it was about this, it was about literature, it was about... And it was like these working-class dartsmen. And 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 they knew their stuff, you know what I mean? You go and you watch a quiz today and it's sort of A, B or C. And I mean, it's, we're all sort of just dumbed down. It's a plot, obviously. But I can tell you, without fear of contraception, that I had a dance-off with Boris Johnson just... <laughs> 
to Otis Redding, just over there, literally just down there. It, of, uh, well, who was at three o'clock this afternoon? Who is to know? It was rather late. Boys can't dance. You can dance. And no, that's what it is too modest to say. No, I, I must say, when we have this nostalgia for this intelligent time of the past, I'm old enough to remember the 70s, and he's all too young. Joe can barely remember that Peter was a style going that good during that time. He was having in the 90s dance offs with Boris Johnson. It wasn't any better then. Obviously, our brains are wired, but actually, we're more conscious of how bad it is. That's an improvement. I mean, I don't want to be an old fogey, and I am, but there we are. And looking back, and, never, and wasn't it always better then? I mean, that, that is hopeless position, and I, I want to challenge myself. But I, I do think you have to remember that, you know, Goebbels put in, gave every person in the nation a free radio so that he could play out his Grand Prix to show the brilliance of... Uh, Mercedes-Benz and any uh, and the other companies that he had created to give this impression to the nation of the great German supremacy and it was through the technology of this propagandist tool the radio as it was I mean we're, we're on radio now but it, it, it's still it's still a powerful medium and that and that that is this propaganda for an agenda is, is, is often very hard to locate. We think we find it, we think we're doing it, we think we've got it nailed with the Bad Press Awards, but maybe we haven't. Maybe it's somewhere else and we can't yet see it. Joanna Scanlon. And if you've never been to the Byline Festival, and I hadn't until this year, I really would recommend that you do so. It's intelligent, thought-provoking and occasionally, as you can hear, raucous fun. I'm Adrian Goldberg and you've been listening to the Byline Times podcast. If you want to support journalism that reports without fear or favour, please take out a subscription to the Byline Times, our brilliant monthly paper. Your subs pays for this podcast, Byline Radio, Byline TV and our newsbreaking website, bylinetimes.com. That's where you'll find details of how to subscribe at bylinetimes.com. Thanks very much indeed for listening. I'll see you next time.